Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Hello Rank Squad, welcome to a very special week here on Ranks FC. We're showing you what life is like as a member of our Ultras community on Patreon, where we release two extra episodes every single week. So if you like what you hear across the course of the following five days, the link to come and join the best community in football is in the description. Every Monday we do a post box where we answer the best of our Ultras questions on football across the globe, from Milan to Miami, Barcelona to Birmingham, Wellington to Warsaw and beyond. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today. And joining me as ever is the rank god, Mr. Samsai. Yeah, the resident expert on Wellington, reporting in. Reporting for duty, uh, of course. And Dean Jones, Warsaw. I don't think we've ever spoken about Warsaw. I think that is the one place we've never discussed. Well, okay, fine. What do you know about Legia Warsaw? Uh, I, I like the kit a lot, so that's good. <laughs> and that's a lie. We have discussed them because uh, the European adventures have featured. Well, there you go. I was wrong. Well. I was wrong. So there you are. Wrong as usual. <laughs> um, look, wrong as let's, usual. Let's talk about, well, probably the biggest news, apart from our free week here, um, to, to happen in football in ages, which is, uh, well, one certain Lionel Messi looking like his days at Barcelona are... Pretty much done. Looking like, as soon as he just sobbed in a press conference, well, I think it's I fair mean, look, so. you never know. You can you never do, write I it off. I usually say you never know, and I was a bit, I was like, is that this will turn back around? Like, they'll somehow re-sign him, but it doesn't really look like it. It doesn't. It, it doesn't. He's um, probably got a PSG shirt on by the time people are listening to Well, him. he's going to be wearing the number 19 shirt as well, which was one of the big questions we asked um, on Friday. What happens next? Yeah. Like, when we were doing our live streams Sam, on YouTube, we were talking about... The big question really being what number he's going to wear. Obviously, most of the big numbers are taken. Um, you can't see Neymar, although Neymar apparently did offer to give up the 10 shirt for Messi, which I think is... Yeah, right. That's nice. Which I is didn't nice. believe that. Was this well, a question by, from the patron about No, this is just chatting, just okay. chatting in general. We start with the questions there. Michael Lewis is going to kick us off. Twofold part. It says, with the arrival of Messi at PSG, would you put him on the right wing or in a centre-forward position? Perhaps running a back three and having Hakimi far up the pitch would allow for less tracking back for Messi. Um, and he also says, with the arrival of Messi, what's the short slash long-term plans for keeping this team at the current level? With Mbappe's contract coming to a close, do they accept his departure and slot Messi into a forward position? Do they restructure Neymar's contract in an attempt to keep Mbappe? The front three could be very good, but would like some opinions. Cheers from California. Um, let's start with the first bit. And Sam, we talk about Messi and, and the fact that he is the best walker in football, right? Mm. And he walks far better than most people run. Um, but there is an element of this that you have to cover for that lack of way. And we saw that Argentina in the Copa America did that beautifully with Nico Gonzalez on the other wing and the way that they struck the team around that. How would you set this up? So there's part of me that looks at um, Messi at the right wing with Hakimi at maybe like a right wing back role and thinks it's just Messi and Danny Alves all over again, isn't it? And it would be beautiful in attack. But the thing is, we've always talked about is that you actually need to cover for Hakimi defensively. And now you'd have to cover for Messi and Hakimi defensively. So that right flank off the ball becomes a bit of a concern if you play Messi on the right wing. And I do wonder if that's maybe the case or maybe that's the plan for when you come up against Brest or Nantes or something like that. But in the big Champions League games, do you need to consider something else? You need to consider the fact that Di Maria's work rate is actually super important to balancing out Hakimi's attacking exploits. 
and therefore move Messi into the middle somewhere and put Neymar back on the left where he's perfectly happy, perfectly capable. And we'll just leave a Cardi out for everyone's sake. You know, that's, that's just the easiest thing to do, isn't it? Well, so yeah. I think the plan has to change depending on what stage you're on. And I love the idea of Messi and Hakimi linking up in attack. I feel very sorry for the right centre-back. Yeah, well, this is it. But is, is there also an element here, Dean, that we've seen them bring in Sergio Ramos into a, a defence that already involves your favourite, Presno Kimpembe, Marquinhos? There is, you know, there is talent in here. Is this how PSG move forward? Do they go 3-4-3? Do they, they plonk an extra person into that defensive line in order to cover for the defensive deficiencies of what I mean, would be an amazing front flank? Yeah, maybe that's why they're being linked with Koulibaly right now. Maybe that is what they foresee. Um, maybe this is what Wijnaldum was for. It's possible. I mean, I've watched, um, I watched PSG against Troyes on Saturday and Hakimi was basically the right side of attack. Like yeah. He was so far forward. He scored... Um, but he was constantly up there. He wasn't back. Like, he didn't have to defend. Yeah. Like Sam says, like, you need someone to cover him. I can't see Messi playing right side of attack at all for them. He's going to float, isn't he? Let's face it. Like, he's going to play wherever he wants. And you say, is he going to worry about defending? I mean, domestically, there's not going to be that much defending to do. Um, and the Champions League, that, that's the real test that's going to come of all this because you have this team, you have to win the Champions League. Like, there is... If you don't do that, it's a failure. If you have Neymar and Mbappe and Messi as your front three, if you've then got Wijnaldum, Ander Herrera, Verratti, if you've got Kimpembe, Ramos, potentially Koulibaly, Hakimi, Donnarumma in goal, that, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And you have to win the Champions League. But So that's really where the question of where you play Messi is going to come into it. And it'll be tough to get that right. I really do think it will because... You go from being in Liga up against coaches that, you know, Pochettino should be able to outthink a lot of those guys. But, you know, when you get to that level, let's say you're up against Tuchel, for example, say they come up against Chelsea, Tuchel's going to thrive on the idea of like stopping that and, and figuring out how you stop Messi. And that's what everyone's plan is going to be, isn't it? If it's going to be stop Messi and, you, and you'll stop PSG. Because... Well, no, because Neymar. Yeah, and, and, and just the small matter of Kylian Mbappe. Yeah, but it's that was still going to be all about Messi. It's going to be... It's, it was... Well, if people make it all about Messi, they're going to get burned. Yeah, well, this is you it. Can't can... You can't double mark anyone in this team because they've got too many. Well, do you play him as kind of... I, I, I hesitate to use the term false nine because I think it's been used out of place, but I think you would say it here. When do you play Mbappe on that right-hand side and, and use his work rate to kind of double down? And I know you spoke about Di Maria's. Could you use Mbappe in that, in that role? Because his work rate is excellent and has awesome. been for ages. Yeah. He found himself down there quite a lot, actually, the other, the other day. And obviously, like, he's got that ability to cut back from there as well. And there's a couple of instances where he really did do that well. One of the goals, maybe. Um... And he finds himself in that position and was able to link up quite well. So I can see that opening up. I just think it's going to be more fluid than you would ever, ever have a normal lineup be if those are your attacking options because none of them like sticking to a position, do they? So you have to be, you've got to be mm. like, if these are my guys I'm working with, I kind of need to let them lead the way and tell me what's going to work because you can't really coach Mbappe, Neymar and Messi they got to coach you as how you get yourself. <laughs> There's that element of it, isn't there? I mean, the second part of this question, I think, probably relates more to, and we had a couple of questions about what this means for Mbappe and how that kind of figures out next, how it shakes out. Um, and obviously, he has a year left on his contract. Obviously, there are always going to be these overtures about him leaving for Real Madrid. We've seen that it feels like a, a question of when, not if, Dean, in, in, at this point. But... You know, whilst Madrid will look at this and go, mm, is that an opportunity? There's also this kind of element that you go, do you put this team together one year and just give it one year of, of Messi, yeah. 
Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe, or as I'm calling them, M&M, um, uh, do you keep them together for a year? Yeah, of course they'll try and do that. I mean, Madrid saw um, Madrid saw it open up. Um, this could be the opportunity. They've, they've been waiting for Mbappe for two years already. They weren't expecting that it could happen this year, but this obviously gives them a bit more hope. They think he'll arrive next year anyway if he doesn't come now because they're told he won't sign a new contract with them and he'll be a free agent um, for next year. And they know he wants to come and join them. But Mbappe, probably easier to convince to stay for the next year if you're told that you were going to be playing with Messi in that time and like finally you can lead us to the Champions League. Because it wasn't like he was desperate to leave PSG. It's just that he wanted to go to that next project at some point. And it seemed like it would probably be a good idea to do it now. But that has all changed um, since Thursday or Friday, whenever this broke. And um, yeah, I, I think Mbappe will now happen next year. But I wouldn't surprise me if still we get a Madrid bid come in at the end of this window just to test it out. Chance their hand with it. If you're Mbappe, you can't leave now. <laughs> yeah, you have on. to see it out, don't you? You won't get another chance to play with Messi. You no. won't, just won't get that chance. Mm. Like... Just, just do this. Just do the just year do the and thing. See what happens. Do the thing and see how happens. Um, Ahmad says, "All right, I'm a Barcelona fan, which I know alone is gloomy right now. I hate that Messi didn't get what he wanted last year and this year. Honestly, how do we think a Messi-less Barcelona looks? Who would be unlucky enough to inherit the number ten shirt?" potentially no one but Pedri if not, if anyone and he said and even though I despise PSG I think it makes sense for Leo to go there he can save his energy for the Champions League plus how many do you think will now watch Liga if he's gone to PSG Messi alone attracts attention wherever he goes mm. um, he said I have a lot to say what would happen to Mbappe and are we witnessing the, the rise of Liga over La Liga I'll stop here thanks for your time <laughs> fair enough I mean let's start with Barcelona because there's, it's not all doom and gloom. Like, I, I do think there is an element of this that you look at and you say, yes, Barcelona are now clearly a worse side. They are less marketable side. All of the above, right? They, they are, everything is, is bad. And I am desperately sad about how this has all ended. I, I don't like it. There's no romance in it. There's no poetry in it, sure. But, you know, at the end of the day, where else was he going to go at this point? The, the, the options seem incredibly limited. Mm. Um, and so when you look at it, like this, it, it kind of does make sense for, for that Messi transfer to go through to PSG. But you come back to Barcelona and I think we watched you know, Gamper Trophy last night, Dean, and it did feel like there were still signs of real life in Barcelona. And, and yes, it's going to be weird and sad and uncomfortable, but it doesn't feel like Barcelona are, while they might be a state off the pitch, it doesn't feel like they're too much of a state on it. No, I actually really enjoyed the game against Juve. Obviously, they won 3-0. Um... And there was, they just kind of played with a sense of freedom. I think it was probably nice for them all to get out on the pitch, to be honest, because so much has been talked about and like yeah. how it's all doom and gloom and crisis for Barcelona. And they were probably like, let's just go out there and show them that like, we actually are all footballers as well. And like, we're playing for one of the best teams in the world. And, and they're all really good. And they're all really good. And Memphis seemed to, I mean, he's... He's never short of confidence anyway. I, I tweeted at the time that I figured the day that Messi had announced he was leaving that he was probably already in the Barca boardroom asking for the number 10 Honestly, shirt. Honestly, it wouldn't have surprised me if he walked out in the 10 shirt for that game because he now thinks that he is the, the poster boy of Barcelona. <laughs> well, um, he's not wrong. He might be, yeah. He, yeah, I mean, he, he might Petri be the biggest selling point. point there now. Um, here's a question. If you could go to one... If you had one game to go to, like the rest of your life now, I saw someone say this on Twitter, would you choose to go and watch Barcelona... Or would you choose to watch Messi? Like, what is bigger, Barcelona or Messi? Like, what's the bigger pull? Well, you could only watch one game in the rest for the rest of your life. Mm. I think you'd go and see Messi. Um, 
But I still think that the point is so valid. Is Messi bigger than Barcelona? No, that's no I don't think that's the question. I think that's just personal preference. Yeah. I think the fact that I would want to go and see Messi in the flesh it is something that's different to wanting to go to the new camp to watch Barcelona. The, the two things aren't inextricably linked. Do you know what I mean? Like, me wanting to watch Messi as, a, as an individual is not linked to the idea that he's bigger than Barcelona. It's just because I want to watch Messi. One more game, might as well make it. But is the lure of Bas- watching Barcelona and going to Camp Nou now no longer what it was? Because who are you going to watch? Well, no, I get that. But at the same Pedri. time, in, in the past, obviously you've had Ronaldinho, like yeah. Rivaldo, you've had Samueletto, you've had Thierry. Are you going to go and watch like, Memphis Depay? Like, no. Yes. Like, I am going to pick Messi over Barca in that scenario. But it's because if I've only got one game... I'm going to make sure the best player alive is in it. That that's that's only fair. Is the Classico dead? That's the other question I saw. No. Like, I, I, do you think that that game? I don't think. Well, people talking about the, the question I was relating to there is like, is Liga bigger than La Liga? And I think the question there becomes like, La, um, the Classico is the biggest game in, in football, right? It's in terms of audiences and everything else, is that game now got the law like Ronaldo had gone and you still had Messi? Now Messi's gone as well. What's the Classico going to be like next season? Well, I actually, I would argue that the, the Classico has lost some of its allure. But I actually don't think it's got anything to do with Barcelona. I think the, the Classico has lost its allure because Real Madrid are no longer a, a sexy team in, in so many ways. Like Real Madrid are an incredibly efficient unit. And, and under Ancelotti, they, they haven't particularly picked up anyone in particular, aside from David Alaba, who we know is a brilliant signing. I'm not, I'm not knocking that Gareth signing Bale. by any suggestion. But they are... They haven't got. They haven't looked at this transfer window and gone. Oh, look! There's a big name. That, who's the biggest name at Real Madrid right now? Kroos, Benzema. Modric, Benzema. Benzema. Yeah. Like yeah. who have been there for, for Eden years? Hazard, his name is Eden Hazard. Hasn't played football in twenty million years. Um, it's it's one of those things where yeah. I think that the the allure of Barcelona is still far brighter than the allure of Real Madrid to watch right now as a, as as a neutral with 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 no real you know kind of affiliation to either club. Mm. I think I would rather go and watch Pedri, Frankie De Jong. Griezmann, Depay, over the selection of riches at Real Madrid. That's where I am in the Classico right now. Yeah, I don't know if I would. I don't know. I don't know well, So it's the Bernabeu doesn't exist at the moment, does it? Yeah, it doesn't exist. <laughs> so, so, so there's that element of it too. And Valdebeba seems to be very, like, it's trapped in like a monsoon. It's very rainy, sense. yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't know why don't it's so rainy all the time. Um, Yusuf Demir, Sam, who you mentioned on a pod a couple of weeks ago uh, as the, the be- most underrated, shall we say, transfer of the summer, well, played this game uh, and he was he was great fun. He's he been great awesome fun all the way through preseason, showing flashes of brilliance here and there. Um, look, it, it's, it tells you really, doesn't it, how quickly things have moved on in the space of a couple of weeks that when we did christen him the transfer that deserved more hype as the number one, I was thinking, well, yeah, but obviously you should be aware of him, but obviously put it on the back burner for a couple of years. Uh, maybe bring that timeline forward. A wee bit. I don't still don't think see him as a striker. Yeah, see him as a months. striker, but he um as a starter, not a striker, I should say. Um, there is also Alex Callado, who we thought was going to leave, who, who seemed to have in crisis talks with with Barcelona last week. He thought he was going to go on loan, potentially to Belgium. Was was the kind of word on the street. Uh, he came on, made a cameo, ten minutes at the end. He was brilliant, mm-hmm. absolutely brilliant, all heart, all soul, all talent, and it was it was a real kind of joyful performance at a time where I think Barcelona probably need a little bit of joy you know kicking through them to, to really kick things onwards and yeah it was nice to see and I, I now think that Alex Chiado might well be part of this season um, I think that Messi leaving mm. potentially means that you can't get rid of him as a backup option especially with the financial straits the Barcelona find themselves I, would, I mean I would imagine that they're actually not allowed even to register Yusuf Demir because he's a new signing now the idea is for him to play Barca B anyway um 
but I imagine they can't even sign him even if they wanted to move that timeline forward, even six months or 18 months or whatever it is, because he's new. He's a new player, so you can't sign him. So it makes someone like Collado, who's already registered, all the more important immediately. And the academy has to be the way that they get through this, because that's what makes Barca kind of bomb-proof in this scenario, is the fact that they've got so many good players coming through in different positions. And I'd like to say as well, like it's time to change the stance on Elish Mariba who's been in a, a contract standoff and hasn't played any part in pre-season or barely been involved because, well, they're disagreeing over this, that and the other. Well, look, now you know the scenario. Now you know what you need. And Mariba, the same as Collado, the same as Pudge, the same as, oh, well, Balde at left back. You've got to start li- relying on these players more than you initially planned to. Yeah, I mean, look, literally as we're recording, the news has come out from Albert Roger, who's a Barcelona journalist, that Collado is staying at Barcelona. He no longer wants to give up on the team. He knows that Kerman doesn't completely trust him, but wants to stay and convince him that he deserves to play. Same vibe as Ricky Puj last season. So um, we will be seeing more of Alex Chiado. So that's cool. that's nice. Um, let's move on to League R, uh, where Benjamin has asked about, well, the whole league, basically, in one question. He said, League R start this weekend was brilliant. I loved it. That Lille-Mets game in particular was absolutely electric. Although, however, I do have a small concern after what we've seen so far. All three teams we discussed last week that theoretically posed PSG a serious threat in the league pre-Messi at least, uh, Drew, I assume that Benjamin is talking about Lille, Monaco and Nice. Lille were not in our top three. Well, actually, Benjamin, I think you'll find that I put Marseille in there and uh, Marseille very much won, but we'll come Lille on to Marseille. We'll come on to Marseille later. Um, he says, sure, the Lille game was extremely exciting, but their three goals didn't actually earn them three points. The way I see <laughs> it, this can be for two reasons. Either the rest of the pack is a lot better and more competent than I've realised, or those three teams are just a lot more flawed and imperfect than I thought. I think probably both of those things are a little bit true, to be honest, Benjamin. There's nothing wrong with that, but it does make me feel like maybe the league isn't going to be as competitive as we hoped. That or it's more competitive than we could have ever dreamed of. What do you think? Do you feel those draws are more failures for the good teams or successes for the bad teams? Should the results concern me or excite me? Will PSG lose a single game this year if they sign Messi? Okay. Uh, yeah, a lot of questions in there. So first of all, I, w- I would definitely qualify the the, com- the contenders thing with like, we really are not expecting the teams that we label as, as contenders, almost in air quotes, to genuinely challenge PSG. And I know that you could have said, you know, oh, we think PSG will win the league or walk the league last season. And it didn't work out like that at all. And in fact, it didn't work out that way at all when Monaco took it off them maybe three years beforehand. Uh, football was not written like that, but... We name-checked PSG's business for a reason, and we're calling them contenders, but they're more like antagonists, not protagonists. And it is it is a little bit difficult for these teams to keep up with what PSG have done. Marseille were awesome. Great fun, weren't they? Yeah. Lille, I mean, they showed that 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 the same spirit that got them the title last year is still alive and well. Be right, you know, that's in the 97th minute. Oh, yeah, literally putting I teams mean, on his back again, isn't come he? Come on. After come a on. terrible summer. The terrible yeah, yeah, yeah. summer, and he was rubbish at the weekend as well. Um, the weekend before the the Trophée de Champion, he was he was pretty pretty useless to be honest with you. But yeah, it was a funny one. I mean, Leon came in, uh, ran into some difficulties. Nice goalless draw. I watched Rennes, and while they were thrilling at times, they were defensively shambolic for about half the game as well, and pretty much handed the initiative back to their opponents for no good reason whatsoever. So yeah, I mean, it's an opening weekend. There's lots of, it's full of fun. It's full of surprises. It's full of unknowns. It's the same in every league. Um, but Marseille, we knew were good and uh, they're good. We're going to come back to Marseille, but I wanted to talk to Dean about, about PSG and, and that business. And look, we, we spoke about it. You know, we, we, we named people as contenders to PSG, despite the fact that they are not the reigning champions of France, right? And that was done for a reason. And 
you look at their business and this was a statement of intent, not just in the league, but in Europe. And and what's happened is they've put together a kind of, well, Harlem Globetrotters-esque side <laughs> in, in Liga, which basically, yeah, I mean, if Messi comes in here as well, it, it looks incredibly difficult for anyone to, to kind of come near them, never mind, you know, to genuinely challenge. Is the kind of hope what you do that you put pressure on this PSG team and by the time it gets to the latter stages of the Champions League in March, April, you hope that they have enough slip-ups in the tank to, that they're concentrating on the one thing that's eluded them in, in, in European glory that they might be able to, to be realable in the league. Is that the only hope you have? I th- Probably, but I think PSG's vision will be like, well, let's get the league tied up then before the quarterfinal stage and we'll do what other teams have been doing and be able to switch our attention to the Champions League fully and and play the league play out the league campaign with our backup squad and save all the star names for for the competition that we're really focusing on. I think the fact they got off to a winning start is important. Last season they they struggled at the start and you thought, oh, I wonder if this will catch up with them further down the line, and you presume it won't, but actually it did. And this time they can't allow that to happen. And at the weekend they. They were very convincing in the way that they had the kind of mindset to turn the game around. And I don't think that would have been the same at this point last year. I think they probably learned lessons from that. Um, They're up against a really good team um, in terms of football and ability, but quickly turned the game, went 1-0 down early and, and turned it around quick. And that's with their backup squad because you didn't see Ramos out there, Donnarumma, Verratti didn't play. Um, obviously, Messi wasn't there because he's not there yet. But um, <laughs> Di Maria didn't play. That yeah, there's a lot to come. There's a lot to come. come into the fold yet, yeah. and they've got in one a tricky first away game, two one. Um, and I think that that's a sign of what they'll do this season. That they won't make that same mistake again. Personally, that's what I believe. Yeah, I mean, obviously, a new manager in terms of obviously he's been there for six months already. So, but but he was brought in. He didn't start last season's campaign and then this season he will look to rectify the mistakes that saw him brought him in in the first place, right? Also, also there's a credit for Dwarf, please, because they were excellent. So, the, the, the start of last season for PSG was an absolute shambles. Yeah. And it was not their fault. They were, they were left playing catch-up because they had to play a, a delayed Champions League final. Oh, yeah. True. And then they didn't have any players for the first, like, two, three... Like, they actually got... <laughs> very hard to say this in a straight face. PSG were hard done by <laughs> at the start of that season. Like... That was not fair. For They're not them making the same mistake kids. this time round, eh? Not making the same mistake twice. No, no. Um, um, but I actually didn't see the PSG game. I know Dean did. Twelve were fun. They were really fun, and we yeah. talked about them obviously with Alex on last week's show um, as being, you know, someone interesting in terms of who they bring in. But just in terms of how they played, how they attacked the game, you know, how they wanted to, to keep the ball, and they were really, they were really, really impressive. They really, were, really like, joyful. I definitely would. Well, would watch again. Six out of ten would watch again. Um, (laughs) This this season as well, like it seems much more accessible, frenchly, from the UK anyway. Like it seems like the games are better spread out, much more of them on TV, it looks like to me, over the first weekend anyway. Well, I suppose there was less to compete with. Yeah, but like the way they were spread out, like it seemed like there was, every time I turned the TV on to BT Sport, there was was a French game that was live. I tell you what, I did get that feeling. It was like, oh, what's on next? It was like four in a row, five in a row. Yeah, it was four or five in a row. I don't know that BT Sport have just announced they've also got the Serie A rights this season. Um, mm. So I'd imagine they're going to be they're competing. Going to knock all the French space games off then. Just be in PSG. terms of where.
where wow. they live. So they yeah. are new development. I'm full of developments today. BT have um, also ended up with the Portuguese football. Absolutely, all sorts going and on. And who got Bundesliga? Sky, oh, Sky, 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 Sky are on the Bundesliga. It's accessible from the UK this year. I give you that for free. Yeah. Um, so it's we not just free. you have to pay a subscription. You do well. I give you nothing for free. Um, apart from this free week here on Rest <laughs> C. So, so there you go. Um, look, we talked about Marseille very briefly, Sam, but. They were heaps of fun. I couldn't I couldn't leave League on behind without talking about Sam Pauli playing a 3-3-1-3 Bielsa style. Oh, glorious. Absolutely glorious. It was awesome. Um, they battered Montpellier from start to finish and were 2-0 down at half time. So let me let me make that make sense for you. Um, played played like played quick, played fierce, played fast, played direct, kept switching the ball, the wingers kept crashing into the box, they were doing cutbacks. It was very Sam Pauli. It was very, very, very good to watch. And they were getting loads of players into the box, getting under off the right and De La Fuente off the left. They both had brilliant debuts and ended up assisting kind of each other for the first goal. But they ended up 2-0 down somehow because of two like freak goals. The first one was a cross that accidentally went in off Luan Perez, the centre-back, who had a terrible, terrible, terrible first half and then rebounded a little bit in the second half. Um, and then the second goal, Gaetan Laborde scored a Puskas contender. Yeah, it's it not the first time he's done that either. Unreal, absolutely unreal. And like Marseille, at 35 minutes in, had dominated this game, had basically conceded one shot and a cross. They'd both gone in and they were like, what the hell is happening? Like, how does this work? To their credit, they just carried on going, carried on going. And Sampaoli used his substitutes or used a substitute very, very well. He brought Benedetto on. That freed up Dimitri Payet to play in a more of a floating role. In Payet, the one. In the one of the, the one. one. Payet just completely and utterly took over this game, scored a couple of goals. His second one was, was amazing. Um, and the wingers, all that pressure they were generating from the flanks finally told when Conrad assisted Cengiz. So a very good start for Marseille. 3-2 doesn't look great on paper, but this was a really ominous performance. And I will 100% be tuning in for their next game. Oh, they're chaos. It's great fun. Um, talking of chaos, the game was suspended briefly in the 88th minute. It was. Because uh, of Montpellier fans throwing well, throwing projectiles onto the pitch. Yeah, really. I think it was like bottle, plastic bottles that were filled up with water or maybe other substances. I don't know. Um, uh, Valentin Rongier, who was on the bench, he was celebrating... Um, celebrating one of the goals uh, when Payet ran over to the subs and he got hit by something. And that was like strike one and they kind of ignored it. And then it kept happening and Guendouzi was a target. Emptied a bottle at one point. point. Yeah. Um, and in the 88th minute, the refs, this was the fun bit, the refs literally just left the pitch, but I don't think they told the players what they were doing. <laughs> they just walked off. I don't know what the protocol is there, but the refs, they showed on the cameras, they walked like off through the tunnel and into the dressing room and just disappeared. The ref and, and the officials. The players were still on the pitch looking at each other like, what's going on? Are we playing or... <laughs> What's happening? Yeah, um, another one. And yeah, they had to go to an advert break to figure it out. And then there was a, a tannoy announcement. Like, please, please don't do this. Like, yeah, It's not fun. Like, no one's if you themselves. keep doing this, we'll lose 3-0 by default. Yeah, we've scored twice. We're only going to lose 3-2 at this point. No Come one on. wants that hit on our goal difference. Come on. And if, for those of you that don't watch Marseille regularly or semi-regularly, should I say, this happens genuinely about four times a season in Marseille <laughs> games. Now, it's not always Marseille fans. I would like to just strenuously point that out. I'm not pointing the finger at them. Um, but there's something happens when Marseille comes to town that everyone kind of just loses the plot. Um, I didn't expect it to be the first game of the first season, game, but we are on one of our traditional four down down already. So, yeah. uh, so there we have it. Um, and with that, I think it's probably time to move to England. And the first question uh, for you, Dean, is from Emiliano Castagnon, who says, exciting 
exciting fan, times to be a Chelsea fan. Lukaku probably announced tomorrow, Kunde in the final stages, and the squad looks sharp and ready for the coming season. What would you consider a failure and a success this season? I'd say no trophies is a failure, but Premier League or Champions League is success for me. I mean, I'd, oh, <laughs> I'd, agree with that, mate. I'd, be, I'd say I'd agree with you, Emiliano. Any sort of silverware is probably a success, I would yeah, suggest. Yeah. yeah. Typical Chelsea fan, isn't it? I'd say no <laughs> failure or I'll take the Premier League. Um, no, it does make me laugh this exciting times to be a Chelsea fan considering a couple of weeks ago we just had so many comments from, well, fed up, mm, doom and gloom, Chelsea fans, panicky panicking. Chelsea fans, especially on social media, like what are our board doing? Why aren't we signing anyone? Here we are. Um, what would I consider a failure? Not being in the title race or not being in contention for the Champions League. You don't say like not winning those things because there are so many other clubs. There are four clubs that can, you'd imagine, going into the competition looks like can realistically win it. Four clubs that realistically will be in the Premier League title race. And as long as you're in that conversation in May, then you're good. You're good because nobody has a right to do these things. And if you don't win it, you can't count that as a failure. It'd be like England saying that Euros was a failure because they didn't win the Euros. Like That's what you it? said to me the next day. It yeah. was a success. <laughs> Based on our rich history, we really had to win that one. <laughs> um, but that's, you know, I know some people will consider that failure, but it's not, obviously. Yeah, I mean, if you're in the conversation, right? Like, you can fall short to, to one of the other very, very good sides. Yeah. And it, it takes us quite nicely on to the next question from Sam Adelman, who says... Between PSG signing Messi and Chelsea signing Lukaku, it has to be either of them winning the Champions League this year. Against the odds, who has an outside bet of taking it from them? Bayern, City, Juventus, Real Madrid, to me, don't stand a chance on paper. Wow. And this is a hell of a statement, Why are Sam. Why Man City in this list? I don't really know. and I, I mean, I would argue that the Bayern good. Munich probably should not be in this conversation because Bayern Munich are Bayern Munich. And we're a little bit of an, you know, an unknown quantity in some ways under, under Nagelsmann, but... It's still Bayern Munich. <laughs> and also, Juventus have brought Allegri back in. We have no idea quite how that's going to go, but you'd imagine we're going to see a bounce back. There's a lot. Real Madrid maybe is a fair point. It's the only one I'll give you of these four, to be honest, Sam. Yeah, um, it, yeah, I think yeah. there are plenty of teams in contention for this. And what if PSG and Chelsea play each other in like the round of 16 or the quarterfinals and suddenly the whole thing opens up, right? It's yeah, a yeah. There's big too, statement. There's too much variance in football to be to be saying stuff like this, particularly when you don't know the uh, the way a knockout bracket can, can shape out. Real Madrid, I'm comfortable putting aside for this conversation. I am... Uh, but Manchester City are basically exactly as good as Chelsea. There's barely anything between them. So even with Lukaku added, I'm just not. I'm just not really. I'm not really. Yeah, I definitely not ruling them out. Bayern, I can understand some concerns, but again, I'm not going to rule them out. And uh, Juventus, we'll see under Allegri. But these teams have got things going for them, like Bayern with Lewandowski and Juventus with Allegri and Ronaldo, that mean that you cannot, cannot rule them out of this conversation. Like it's not a two-horse race. Absolutely not. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's a dangerous precedent to set, setting two horse races yeah. for the Champions League at this point, I think, Sam. Um, but, you know, it's a, maybe maybe we'll be proved wrong. Maybe it's Sam a PSG-Chelsea right. final and, and that's, how it, that's how it shakes out. Maybe Sam will be right. Um, another Sam, though, Sam Steen says, Is Lautaro coming to Tottenham, Dean? What about Vlaovic? Who is the best partner for Romero once he is healthy? Um, I'll leave that last part to you, Sam, but I want to talk Lautaro and Vlaovic with you first, Dean. I mean, Tottenham made their offer on Friday. They'd been watching him for a couple of years and had been contemplating Lataro as a long-term, um, I guess, takeover from Kane. But now they want him to actually play alongside him. Obviously, helps 
convince Kane that you're still in part of something good here if he gets a player of that level come in and, and join his strike force. Um, so they're giving it a go. They, they're throwing a lot of money in that direction because he's, I mean, he's, valuation is 80 million euros and that's typically not a figure that Tottenham would go close to so the fact that they are willing to shows where their heads are at under um, Fabio Paratici. Vlavic they've asked the questions around him I personally think he'll have another year with Fiorentina he has to how else are we going to win the league got a new deal didn't he yeah I mean obviously sometimes you sign a new deal and you can still go um well, I mean, this is but it doesn't seem price. like this is that case. Yeah, no, yeah, I think they might be giving him a year, which I'd say is probably about right. I think he ended up with a seventy million euro release clause of the report I read. Yeah, and I think for him as well, like things could really open up for him next season. I mean, there'll be other clubs in Italy interested in him, obviously. But then you think, well, I don't know, Haaland moves on from, from Dortmund, maybe maybe Dortmund looking in his direction. Mm. There's little opportunities that will open up for a player of his style next year. So. Tottenham seems like a risk at this point for me for him to take a move like that. I agree. I agree. I think he could do with another year, obviously, at the franchise because I'd be delighted to see him yeah. lead Fiorentina to, Fiorentina to the title and win the Capocannonieri, which is impressive <laughs> um, for a player at his age. But um, yeah, the new contract looks like it's been agreed, if not signed. So we'll, um, we'll keep an eye on that one. But I feel like he might well be sticking around for mm. an extra year. Sam, it takes us to you. And the other question there, who's the best partner for Christian Romero once he's healthy? Yeah, interesting one. I mean, to start with, we'll just establish what kind of a player Romero is for those that don't know him, and you'll you'll see pretty soon. I mean, he's interesting, isn't he? He's, he's an intriguing he's player. He played in the centre of a back three for Atalanta and was allowed to not just leave his defensive line in search for the ball, but sometimes just leave his defensive line to go and play up front temporarily if he want, if he fancies it. There's, I don't think there's a defender in Europe across last season that registered more pressures. Um, or more fouls to be honest with you and you have to get ready for this the Christian Romero experience is it's often not pretty yeah I mean it's 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 really effective at points but it, it can it, it will lead to yellows it may lead to some reds at different points and I'm trying to paint the picture there of a very aggressive centre-back who goes and hunts for the ball who tries to put his body on the line and it's a, I like a lot of it but like obviously ideally you'd partner that with someone who is much better in recovery a dog and a cat a dog and a cat now the Tottenham staff at centre-back, they may not have the ideal partner for this guy right now. I, I, I don't think they do. I think Rodon could do a job, but you'd have to compromise him a little bit at what he's best at. But I think he could do it. Davison Sanchez and Romero would be an absolute nightmare. So be a bit let's, mad, let's rule that one out immediately. I think Tanganga could do it. But I have a sneaky suspicion Tanganga is the starting right-back. Because he's, I think he's played himself into that role. And I think he deserves that role. My answer to this question would be Tommy Asu. If he signs. Get it done and play them. Play them together. Or play a back three. Yeah, that's what my next question was going to be. Do we think that, you know, obviously Dean's just spoken about the Lautaro interest and that is supposedly, at least on paper, to, to partner Harry Kane, not necessarily to replace him. Um, but even if it was, you know, we've seen Son play up top in preseason and been very, very good. Maybe, you know, him and, and Lautaro could build a relationship as well if it does all go south on the, on the Harry Kane news. And there's a question about Harry Kane coming, so I'm going to stop it on that. But, but if that does happen and they want two up top, then a three at the back seems to make sense. It also brings Matt Doherty into play. It brings Sergio Reggio into play. It, it does feel that Tottenham might go that way. We've seen Nuno obviously do it at Wolves. Mm -hmm. um, it, it feels like it's something that Tottenham could work themselves into quite comfortably. Yeah, I think Rodon left, Romero in the middle, and then Tanganga right centre-back. He's he's perfect for that. 
he's like a like that tweener kind of player at the moment, isn't he? Like yeah. the Aspilicueta. Like it's like he's probably quite neither, but he's both at the same time. Aye. So I do like that as a as a fix. But I mean, Romero's going to have to get used to playing in a back four pretty quickly because I've no doubt that Spurs are planning to start the season in that regard. Well, or just try and utilize different formations. And he's going to have to be able to. It can't be as specific as oh no, I need to play in the middle of a back three. Yeah, because. He's very good and he should be able to adapt. Tottenham, by the way, have played a bit of a blinder here because they've ended up getting him on the loan with an option. Now, the option's expensive and if it goes well, they should take it. But for a player with this kind of boom or bust quality to his play, yeah, it, having it him takes on a little loan bit of the risk out, is yeah. just brilliant. Yeah. It's brilliant. I agree. Um, right, one for you, Dean, from Andrew Fukuda, who says, obligatory Kane question. Sorry, Dean. Um, do you believe the Kane statement in that him coming back to training Saturday was planned all along? I think not, but curious to hear what you think. And on a scale of 1 to 10, how likely do you think Kane is to leave this window? And are Spurs at this point better off without him? In other words, is a disgruntled Kane worth keeping around if you can sell him for at least £125 million? Mm. Okay, so I think I said all along that I wasn't expecting Kane back last Monday when um, he was seen as being late. I think technically all players were due in that day for tests um, for the new season, but wasn't specifically supposed to start training. Um, you look at Man City today and you've got the likes of Foden and Sterling and Carl Walker checking back in. That's because that's the amount of time you're given on the back of a tournament to turn up for training again. And technically, Harry Kane can have that amount of time off. Um, and so that's why he's he's going back in now. I know he's um, in isolation at Tottenham and, and going to begin training again this week. He's not going on strike. Um, so yeah, I do believe that's the case all along. One to ten, impossible to say because it all depends on what City offer and if if Tottenham accept it, and I can't second guess that, nor can Kane at this point. Um, but he's a 100% worth keeping around. Tottenham believe that, you know, say £130 million comes in for Harry Kane. One, they, they can't make up with one or two signings for the what he offered them. And they believe that there's more chance of them getting back into the Champions League with Harry Kane and without him. It's as simple as that. They don't think that he'll kick up that much of a fuss. You know, he's not William Gallas who threatened to score own goals when he when he went on <laughs> own goals and red cards, um, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah, he's he's not going to go down that path. So um, it'll be fine if if he stays. Like Tottenham fans will soon be won over and forget about this and, and let him go again. Let him go next year. And I can see why why Daniel Levy's going down that path. Yeah, I mean, Kane doesn't strike me as the kind of person who's going to go on strike. Um, so I think I think that one's probably okay. Um, Luke Stafford says, any updates on Arsenal's pursuit of James Madison? Not really. No, I mean they're trying to um, send some players to Leicester, and they're trying to get around the fact that Leicester's <laughs> make valuation of Madison is seventy million pound. Um, is James Madison worth seventy million pound? I think it sounds a little bit too high for me, but... Um, English tax on it, though, isn't it? Yep. Um, ultimately, you know, he started the Community Shield at the weekend. He played, played well. pretty well. Yeah. Um, took a nice photo with the trophy. Took a nice <laughs> picture. Beat Man City. Got Boohoo Man deal. That's a good club. Got Boohoo Man deal. Like, what more does this man want? Uh, that seems want? it. He can't join Arsenal, does he? No, I don't know. It's one of those <laughs> weird ones. The, the deal, Sam, makes me laugh sometimes. You know, Leicester finished quite comfortably above Arsenal last season. Why would they take Arsenal cast-offs in order for their starting 10? It, it, none of it really adds up to me. It doesn't add up to me at all. And I think that, the well, there's a, there's a question here about Alwa, actually. I'm just like, well, yeah, I mean, if you've got the choice between them, I think you need to be a bit smarter if you're Arsenal. Like We've been talking about this 
this summer in particular with Arsenal that like the the Lukonga deal is the kind of deal that they should be striking. They need to be a bit smarter with this stuff. They need to get in one turn ahead of where they have been. Now, I know Dean's been talking about how they've got a, quite a big pot of money, but 50 million on Ben White and 70 million on James Madison, good players as they are, does become a bit difficult to defend. Like also, their madness. And I know that one of the other takes we've got here from Channon is about if City let Bernardo go. And we'll come on to that in a second. But Bernardo is available for reportedly 60? for 60 million. Yeah. If you've got the option between James Madison for 70 and Bernardo Silva for 60 and you don't take Bernardo, you're mad. Depends if Bernardo you're wants mad, to play. But I suppose if Bernardo doesn't want to go to Arsenal and you, you know, at this point, you couldn't really blame him. No. Um, so, so maybe that's another one. But yeah, Chandler's question was, saw the scorching hot take today that if City let Bernardo go and they don't make any more signings this window, then they've stood still or are marginally better than when they started, bearing in mind Aguero's gone too. I love Grealish. But with Pep, is he even guaranteed a start? Thoughts there, Sam? I know that these players, as good as they are, have to move into some form of Pep roulette, but they've just dropped £100 million on the guy. Like, presumably, there's a really good plan in place for Grealish. There's, there's got to be, hasn't there? There's just got to be. Well, it's what he offers that Bernardo doesn't. And I learned, you're coming, this is coming from two people who adore Bernardo Silva yeah, to we, the wall. Yeah, we adore him. But in, in Pep's system, Bernardo becomes a system player. And I think... We need to consider that when we look at him and we compare him to Grealish. And you think about what happened last season. City were phenomenal. They won the league. They reached the Champions League final and they were edged 1-0 by another very, very good team. It's quite hard to improve on City. And I think what Pep found during the Champions League final was that he'd been kind of outfoxed by Tuchel to a point that he couldn't actually recover from. And this is where Pep's great system has a downfall. And what he wanted, I think what he then decided to get and ask for was a maverick game breaker who can play in the system when required. But then when it's all on the line and there's 20 minutes to go and Pep can't think of anything to do, he just says, Jack, mate, please just dribble the ball into the box go and get and, fouled. Go and break the game. Yeah, go and change things. Go and rip it up. Rip up the script. I think he's got to the point where he's decided he needs a game breaker. He needs to be able to move off his own very detailed blueprint and just kind of throw caution to the wind a little bit. And I think in Grealish, he's got that player. And I think Bernardo actually would be capable of that. But I think he might be too, too far too gone. Too ingrained within the system. It's a little bit of the messy complex, isn't it? So, when, yeah. when it? When all the system doesn't work, when the cutbacks from Jordi Alba are no longer finding their target, it's give the ball to Messi. You don't want it to be the only plan of attack, which is why Argentina and Barcelona have struggled in recent times. You want it to be something that can change a game. And in that, in yeah. Grealish, that's what, Jack, uh, that's what Pep now has. Because, and, and maybe that's the swap that matters, right? It's, it's not so much the personnel, it's what they offer in, yeah. a, in a kind of maverick sense. It's the dynamic yeah. that's changed for the better for City, yeah. Okay, right. Last one on the Premier League. And Dean, I know you feel strongly about this one, so I'm excited to hear your thoughts. Uh, Thomas Keating, who do you think will be the first Premier League manager to get the boot this season? Pep. I think. <laughs> um, yeah, Patrick Vieira. Patrick Vieira. Vieira yeah. Patrick Vieira. <laughs> um, just, just, just risky. Everything about what Crystal Palace is doing right now is risky. And for, as a, from a neutral's point of view, love it. Like, I'm really interested to see how it all plays out. Yeah, I'm intrigued a, by them. It could be a complete disaster, though, because Vieira... There have been good parts and bad parts to his management so far. And ultimately, you can't say it's been a success. I saw Julian Aron saying the other day about his time in France, how one week he would watch his team and how, how far they were progressing, how nice it was to see a certain style of play being implemented and think, OK, it's there. Now we can see his philosophy. 
Are you watching for the next three weeks and be like, what on earth is everybody doing? This isn't what we were watching. Um, and, you know, NYCFC didn't work out either. Um, and I think that Vieira, look, he's a lovely guy. He will motivate people through his status and also through the fact that he's a genuinely like good person. I'd like to see him do well, but he's going into a job that was held by Roy Hodgson. Hodgson was... There's a lot of turnover, isn't there? It's a massive There's turnover. There's a lot of things going they're on. They're completely different in terms of everything they've done in this job before. And you come from Palace using 14 experienced players and just rotating them for three years to having a complete overhaul and now relying on youth and excitement, I guess. <laughs> The sigh, as Dean said, excitement there, I think is, is testament to all of it, That's right? It's such a gamble. It's such a gamble. And I can see it. I can see it going bad. It's going well in pre-season. I'll give you that for free. Yeah, I've seen that. I've, I've noticed it has started well. Um, fair play to him. But um, let's see. What, so we're a few weeks into the season now it's going. Sam? Um, Dean's forgotten one very important thing, hasn't he? The Potsos are back. The Potsos are back. Watford are back. The first manager fired, regardless of how he's doing, will be will be Watford's manager, Cisco. He's going to win six games on the trot and get, get fired in That'll October. That's because he gets. It's, um, it's a risky one. Um, I actually disagree with both of you. Um, and the first manager sacked this year in the Premier League is going to be Rafa Benitez. Um, now, I think that it's all a bit weird at Everton. Now, the fans don't want him to begin with, bad which start. isn't a good start. It's a bad start. Um, he's... He's felt like a bit of a random appointment at the time. It kind of came from nowhere when, when Everton were linked to a number of people. Um, and their preseason is a bit of a mess. Now, I know we don't want to read too much into preseason. They got absolutely banged by Man United at the weekend. And this is a, an Everton team that you looked at and go, that's probably not too far off your first 11, boys. Um, Pickford, Dina, Keane, Godfrey, Coleman, Alan, Decore, Hammers. It will be Demarai Gray, Andros Townsend. Um, so they're just a DCL short of a yeah, full 11, really. It, it didn't feel it. And they just felt very poor. I'm just not sure the Rafa is the man to have taken this job after Carlo Ancelotti. Um, I'm not sure that any of this is going to work. And I've got a horrible feeling that Everton are going to finish 14th, 15th. Um, and, and at this rate, just might be a bit of a shambles. I reckon Rafa might be gone in the next... Do you know what weeks. his problem is as well? Like he hasn't got very long to find his feet because the, when you look at the fixture list, they've got a. Re- it looks on paper. I know it's, it's it's a silly thing to say, but they've got Southampton first of all, and Southampton aren't having a good preseason either. Um, they've got Southampton at home. So if you lose that game, because people will be expecting Everton to win that game, if they lose that, they've then got Leeds away, which again, this is Everton, so you should expect them to win. Probably won't. And they've got Brighton away. Brighton seems to have a real good feel about them at the moment. So they could win that. Then you've got Burnley at home. You could easily see, like, if they've had a bad start, Burnley... This fixture list actually shouldn't be as hard as it feels. Like, yeah. it's not like they've been given United, Leicester, no, City, exactly. Chelsea. So if you have a bad start after playing those teams, then you really are in trouble because suddenly you start looking a month in advance and you're like, hang on, we'll go in October into November. We've got United, Tottenham City and then Liverpool. Like not not in a row, but like over those six seven games, and basically you get to the game against Liverpool in November. Like to lose that, he's gone. Imagine the glee! Imagine <laughs> the glee around gone. Liverpool with, with having to do that. The, big, the biggest problem Everton got here is not the fixture list; it's that their best player by far doesn't want to play for them. The stuff Hammers came out and said about Carlo the other day, where he's like, "Well, he's gone. Mm. He's, yeah, he's gone. He's left me, and now 
Rafa well, feels like he might look. have been left behind a wee bit. Um, I think we've seen this at a couple of his last jobs um, in that he likes, you know, what he's brought in in, in Andros Townsend is a very, very good Premier League player. This is no disrespect to, to Andros Townsend, but it feels like Everton are potentially regressing with these signings rather than improving. And that worries me. They're just a bit old fashioned, aren't they? With, yeah. Rafa is old fashioned. I just, and it worked for ages and I'm starting to get whiffs of the idea that it may not be quite as effective nowadays. Okay. Combined with the fact that the fans don't want him and his best player doesn't want to play for him, that is a recipe for trouble. Yeah, I think that might be a fair shout. Um, let's go to Italy though. Um, and there's a couple of questions here about Inter who are a little bit of a mess. So one from B-Money, one from Connor. Uh, B-Money says, as a Serie A fan, I'm very concerned about Inter's fire sale and how it hurts the competitiveness of Serie A, especially in European competitions. If Inter sell Big Rom and Lautaro, where do they go? Um, and Connor said, Inter are falling apart from within. Conte gone, Lukaku gone. Now looking like the Martinez might go. How do you think they do in Serie A? And do you think they'll struggle for the top four? It doesn't look great. And none of this is reference to the fact that Hakimi is also left. <laughs> I'm just... I'm and actually Young. You know, I, I spent a lot of last season watching, watching Serie A and I loved it. It was such a good league last year. And I just got... There's nothing inside of me that says watch Serie A this year. It's just so difficult to sell to myself. Like Juventus coming back in with Allegri, Inter falling apart after finally ending that dynasty. It, I just, it just looks like it's not going to go very well for Inter and the competition for Juventus isn't going to be there. It's very difficult, I'm sure. For, for, like if I was an Inter fan right now, I'd be feeling as bad as Barca fans. Like just as bad. This is terrible what's happening to them. I can't believe how bad their situation actually is that all of these players are being sold. Yeah, it, it's not pretty, is it? I mean, look, there is going to be a challenge for Juventus in that Fiorentina are keeping hold of Dusan Vlaovic. Um, yeah. Also, I mean, AC Milan have, have signed famously handsome Frenchman Olivier Giroud to partner the Lions' Latane Ibrahimovic up front. Um, and Thomas Keating said, are they going to play as a front too? Because I can't <laughs> see any defence keeping a clean sheet against them, even with a combined age of 73. Oh, my God. <laughs> I think it's one in, one out, don't you? Maybe, maybe. I think um, it's one in, one out. But it's, look, there's, there's going to be competition in, in Serie A. It might not be as quite, you know, as dramatic perhaps as last year. But I think that uh, Milan will, will probably kick on a wee bit. I think Inter will regress. I, in fact, I'm, I'm starting to have feelings that Inter are not going to make this top four if mm. they don't start. This, and look, Zabata will probably come in from Atalanta, who will replace him with Tammy Abraham, which seems like an upgrade. Um, and Atalanta... Who bear in mind ended the season last year very well, who, you know, were competitive for long periods of it, could well be the the main challenges to Juventus. And they've also signed Mary Demoral from them. I think this is gonna be fun. And Martin Romero says, is this one of the steals of the summer? Um, well, presumably it's on a loan with an option to buy. Yeah. So that's obviously always a really good start. Demoral comes with his fair share of question marks and risks nowadays. Um, it's been a while since we watched him put a season together. And he was terrible at the Euros. Not going to hold that much against him, but... Everyone else was too. Let's, so. let's just say it's been a while since we've seen Demoral at his best. Demoral at his best is excellent. And this is a steal. As long as he is what who he is. And it's hard to say, isn't it? Yeah, I think he'll fill that Romero role quite nicely, to be honest. Um, I think he'll be a nice person in the middle of that, that back three. I think he provides the, the aggression that you need in there. He's also a classy operator. I, I think that Atalanta... Look like they've signed well again. Yeah, they yeah. look sharp. Always. I just think that we're moving into an era where I think Atlanta might just be quite nice. And it's going to be, I think they are 
the main challenges to to this Juventus crown. Um, again, we're, we're calling teams crowns that don't have the crowns, um, but it yeah. feels like we're getting there again. Um, and and let's just say Mourinho's Roma to think about. And uh, well, Martin says. Mourinho in pre- mid-season form in a pre-season match is something we can all be here for. Sent off in a pre-season game against Real Betis, lads. Um, <laughs> phenomenal. It's what you want. It's what you love to see. This is Mourinho in full Italian mode, and, and I am here for it. This Roma side are going to be a problem. I'm telling you right now, they're going to be a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I haven't seen that game yet, but I've actually recorded it because I need to watch it just in case this referee was melon, was a bit of a melon. Because I, I think we're going to bring that back this week on the pod. Mm. Oh, um, the grand return. Yeah, I think it might have to come back. And I need to see this referee in performance if it's quite as bad as it's made out to be. That Mourinho had to march onto the pitch, complain about it. And then three of his players get sent off as well. Sounds like a bit of a mad pre Three of his players and him sent off in one game. Unbelievable. Great value. Um, <laughs> and this was drama. It was great drama in, a, in another of the New Balance friendlies. Yeah. Um, between Ro- oh, no. That's not true. Bet is not sponsored by New Balance. But this was drama, a lot of drama. And we had a great, oh, I had a great time. I was like, the elder Shemuradov scored, which I was delighted about. The because, elder Shemuradov. Well, like I, I was pleased. Now, the it? elder Shemuradov. The elder, the elder scroll. Yeah. Um, so, the elder statesman. Yeah, the elder statesman. He's very young. Um, he is quite young. It's, um, no, it's an interesting though, because obviously, well, there's talk of Jekko going to Inter. Um, as part of this new day, it, at that point, we've got Shemuradov leading the line. I can't wait for um, him to be 30 so we can call him the elder states. Oh, he's, he's going to be great. Once he's scored 100 goals, it's going to be great fun. So, uh, yeah, we're going to keep an eye on, on Roma as well. So there's lots to be excited about in Italy, just maybe not a title race. Yeah, um, probably. But alas, we should move onwards and let's go to the quick fire slash random section because there's a lot going on here. Um, and John Van Kirk opens us up by saying, here's one. Out of all the managers in the world right now, which one would each of you rather be? Have to imagine Poch is under the most pressure to win everything. Simeone is, has to be sitting back wondering how lucky could he be that his two fiercest rivals either got worse or just got another year older this season. Um, Allegri coming back as the prodigal manager or do you go straight batshit and choose Wayne Rooney? Thoughts? I don't think I'd want to be Wayne Rooney. You don't like a challenge, Dean. That's the problem. His life seems a bit chaotic for it me. It does look difficult. Does this incorporate personal life? <laughs> no, you can have your own personal life. It's just in the manager's seat. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, Derby then. I'd like to be Wayne Rooney. <laughs> Do you think that's the challenge you'd want this season? You'd want to keep Derby up in the championship. <laughs> a Derby scored with nine players. I wouldn't want to be Poch because I wouldn't want to talk to Neymar. Too much pressure there as well. <laughs> you can't yeah. really go wrong if you're Rooney. If you go down, it's like, well, fair enough, you tried. Yeah. And I've heard anyway that he's lined up for the Salford job once that one's done anyway. I quite fancy the Salford job, so. Um, Sam, which manager would you like to be? I really don't want to be a manager. It looks difficult. Doesn't it tricky? It looks very difficult. Can I pass? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to go back to... <laughs> yes. I, I know the answer is no, but like, I just can't be bothered with the argument. Um, <laughs> I think there's an element to say I would actually pick Jose Mourinho. I'd like to be in charge of this Roma team. Just like being chaotic, having a great time, getting sent off in pre-season friendlies, as we just mentioned. Um, that's the managerial role I would pick right now of any in the world. I'd like to be in charge of this AS Roma rebuild. What's that Portuguese team on those islands? Yeah, Santa Clara on the Azores. I'll go with that. 
you'd like to be in charge of Santa Clara. Be, well, you also you get European Conference, European Conference League football. Mate, so uh, everyone's having a good time. Um, okay, Louis Goodwin says, with Celtic winning convincingly and Rangers suffering their first league defeat in ages, do you think there'll be a genuine title race this year or will Rangers simply have too much at the end of the day? Um, no one else watches Scottish football, so I'm going to take this one. Uh, Celtic were great fun. Um, and a hat trick from new boy Kyogo Furuhashi um, was sensational frankly he had, he had a brilliant game I've never seen someone create so many chances he missed like three sitters and scored a hat-trick um, and Celtic were really really good Rangers were unlucky to be perfectly honest to them um, they were they were done by a freak goal um, from Dundee United um, but it does put the, the we'll put the markers on I think because Celtic obviously lost the first game of the season to Hearts very very late and, and Rangers won and there was a really kind of this sense that it was like oh god it's already over and it's, it's week one um, and this has just put everyone back into okay maybe it's not quite as over like and look Ange has got a really really difficult job at Celtic um Ange Postacoglu and it, we've spoke about it a little bit across the course of the summer and the fact that this is a, a poison chalice in many ways at the moment just because Celtic can't really spend um they're, they're behind their rivals and coming second in Glasgow is is just not acceptable you, you know there is no two ways about that you know whoever loses out of the old firm is always going to feel like they've had a terrible year um and and therefore that job felt like a bit of a difficult place but obviously Lilabada's come in um Starfelt's come in and Kyogo's come in and between them there seems to be starting to find a, a level of well I would say work that seems to happen. We, we saw them play against Jablonek in the middle of the week. You're um, saying some names here, mate. The three signings you just mentioned, and then the, they sound like Avengers. Well, well, maybe this is Celtic's Avengers after last year, right? After losing out on the 10 in a row. Um, maybe Celtic have just brought in the Avengers, and that's, <laughs> that's what you're asking me. Um, but yeah, there, there, is, there is an element now that I think that this feels like if Andrew can start to coach the best and coax the best out of a new group, a young group, um, and, and genuinely put up a challenge and a fight and, and also make sure Celtic are entertaining uh, and good value and look if they win against Jablonek they're going to have European football on some stage there'll be one more playoff to see if that's Europa League or the Europa Conference League but there is going to be foot you know there's going to be European football uh, at Parkhead at Paradise so there's, there's an element of this that I think is going to be exciting I think there will be a title race this year um, and, I, and I do kind of get to the point where it's really interesting to see that this is a kind of more settled Rangers squad under a more settled manager against a young Celtic squad that is trying to be brought up a level. And I think it's a really intriguing race if it does come down to that because they're two very different elements competing at a very different level. Yeah. So that's where I'm at. Um, Jordan Morris says, can we give a quick shout out to Christine Sinclair, an absolute stalwart at the international women's game, getting the Olympic gold. What a way to possibly cap off her fantastic career. Maybe I'm biased as a Canadian, but she's been the driving force for the growth of the game for an entire generation and she'll be held up with the all-time greats of the sport. Um, yeah, absolutely, 100%. And, you know, there, there's so many records and differing kind of elements that have gone down the years with Christine Sinclair that, that you kind of forget. I think you kind of just assume that she's always been around winning teams because she's always been in these discussions about how brilliant and and, and how on top of the game she's been. For her to go and, and cap that off with an Olympic gold is, is something quite special. There was, there was an element of this, I think, in some ways that felt a little bit messy winning the Copa America. It felt like it was finally time for Christine Sinclair to be given the you know, top of the game recognition that she deserved with, with a winner's medal and lifting a trophy.
It's a, a feel-good story, I think, that one. So even with a little bit of Canadian bias there, Jordan, yeah. I think uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because nice. uh, I think she very much deserved that moment in the, in, in the golden spotlight, shall we say. Um, Elliot asks about his namesake, Harvey. Uh, he says, are we going to see Harvey Elliott start against Norwich in midfield? He put in another outstanding performance against Athletic Club and we could see a lot more of him than expected. Klopp seems to really trust him. We told you so. We told you. I mean, I remember... Well, he right, told you so, to be honest. Yeah, he did. Yeah, it wasn't really me, was it? Um, start of the summer, I definitely remember reading probably a quite spurious report, but it was linking Harvey Elliott to a season-long loan at Norwich. Oh. Which, obviously, he's Got linked moved, to one at Brentford as well. <laughs> he's, moved, he's moved on a couple of levels this summer and has made quite the impression because he was all anybody was talking about after the game that Liverpool played against Athletic Club at the weekend. And... He's in this group and he told us that that was his aim, right? Just be, be in the group, be in the squad, be in and around it. And he looks like he is. And why not start him against Norwich? Like, given that opportunity, that is, with respect to Norwich, like the easiest game, I think, in the league. In fact, the last time they played Norwich in an opening fixture, I believe they won 5-0. 5-1. 4-0, 4-1. Pookie scored. Pookie scored, yeah. It's four, yeah, I remember, yeah, everyone's clean sheet got ruined on the first game of the Fantasy League season. Everyone was absolutely raging. I remember it very well. Um, yeah, I mean, it's probably the easiest game. So, like, absolutely give him the go. He's earned it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, right, last questions. Uh, this one is from Ben Watts, who says, Jack and Dean, how does it feel to be part of the maiden voyage of Neil Warnock's HMS Piss the League? Hey. Um, I'll tell you something, mm. there, there'll be no pissing the league from Middlesbrough. What well, they might well do is grind everybody down in submission, um, beat up opposition teams, bully opposition teams, kick living daylights out of opposition teams, uh, get Warnock booked every single game and, and, and really frustrate everyone. But you know what? Fair play. Got a point in a mm. game that you have one shot on target in. Um, it's... Imagine watching that all season. I can I can do it. I, I respect Ben that you you have obviously got into this and you're a Middlesbrough fan. You know what? Fair play. But I, I don't envy you at all. Like, honestly, <laughs> I'd I'd rather come seventh. Um, it, it just it just wasn't pretty. It involved uh, Ikpiatsu trying to murder Tim Ream twice with elbows to the head. It involved Bola kicking the living daylights out of Harry Wilson. You know, it just wasn't fun. Um, and and you know what? Fair play to you because if you can put up with that, you're a stronger man than me. Fair play, really. Um, well, there was very little fair play yeah, involved, no actually. Yeah, you're play. not wrong. Um, that's Warnock, isn't it? I don't like him. Never have. Um, he is great comedy value, though. I give yeah, him that for free. Funny. I would never want if him anywhere near for him. acts, then yeah, but it's not. This is who he is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it works. It works. We got uh, we got well and truly Warnocked. It was very annoying. And the it? older he gets, the less he cares as well. Oh, he loves being the villain. He's at like, what, 72 now or something ridiculous. He's got this massive paunch belly and he's just walking up and down that sideline, just just winding everybody up and reveling in it. It's so funny to watch. I felt for you boys. Nothing says welcome back to the championship than one shot on target equaliser from Neil Warnock's borough. It was um, absolutely it was, terrible. He actually is 72. <laughs> what is he doing? Uh, also, an uh, interesting fact from that game at the weekend. Um, Luis Bomorte got booked for he, Fulham, he right? Booked, yeah. And the last time he was booked for Fulham was on April the 18th, 2007. 5,227 days between his two last bookings for the club. I remember it well. I think that might be a record. I was there. 
You were. It was against Chelsea. I was there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we. I presumed um, I was. I just obviously. Can't Fourteen remember. years, three months, and twenty-two days. I think that might be a record between bookings for the same club. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so we'll. Uh, I mean, we'll it has an asterisk that. over the record. Yeah, yeah. We we we'll have to send it to to Oily Sailor to get it um yeah. to, to get it verified. But you know, hopefully, hopefully at some point. Um, and right with that, I think it might be time to pull this to a close. <laughs> All that's left really for me to do is say thank you very much to Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. Yeah, thank you very much, to Sam Ty. Thank you. I've been Jack Collins. This has been the Ranks FC Monday Post Box. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you enjoyed the Monday Post Box. This is what we do every week. We rattle our way around Europe, having a discussion about the best and the worst of all the things across the top five leagues and beyond. The link to join the Patreon, if you do fancy joining us on a full-time basis, is in the description. We'd love to have you on board. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Wednesday for the full Premier League preview. Take it easy. Peace.